Minister Carter, please, we will have the song. Let's just sing the song. Above, please, can you put the song uh, in the cleft of the rock? We will sing it while we are taking, making provisions to have a discussion. Um, the song is on the screen. We play this. We sing along the song. Uh, ultimately, we should know this song by heart and be able to be singing it. So the argument of submission uh, was what took a grip very strongly in the mind of, of, of the Apostle Paul while he received the revelation he was sharing with us. And submission should be understood as a requirement uh, within the household of faith, within the family system, within the husband and the wife, 
and those of you that may have served in the in, in the military, the word submission simply means uh, being subject to the ranks, as it were. It's a military expression. And those of you that have been in the ministry, and I knew a few of you are here, it should be very clear to you that when you get into the ministry, the first thing the ministry will do to is to strip you of your individualism. The ministry will strip you of your individualism because you get into the military as individuals, but when you get into the military, you begin to function as a unit. Praise God. That's why it's broken into different groups and different levels uh, of 10 or 50 or whatever, be their military formation or arrangement. And then in the military, there's what you call the ranks. You've got the generals, you've got the lieutenants, you've got the brigadiers, you've got the, the majors, you've got the, the private. It is not about the smartness of a general. All of the ranks submit to each degree of the hierarchy, not because of the expertise of the individual, not how big the individual looks, not how intelligent or smart the individual is. It is purely based on the rank. So whoever is superior to you by rank, you must submit to the person. You must be subject to the individual. And that is what happens in the marriage setting. Submission of the wife to the husband is not because it's perfect. It's not even to the husband in real sense of it. It is in the sense of the marriage institution. Praise God. Because God intends that the family unit should be a formation that will maintain a vision. That is what the word submission is broken into two parts, sub and mission. So there's a mission for the marital institution. God has a mission for it. Now, the Christian marriage is not a Christian marriage because the man is a Christian and the wife is a Christian. That's not what makes it a Christian marriage. What makes it a Christian marriage is that it is governed by the principles of the Christian faith. Praise God. So these are broad strokes of issues I wanted to bear in mind while we go deep into the conversation. God instituted marriage. God has a mission for that institution. It's got a purpose. The theology of Ephesians chapter 5, in expounding about marriage, goes on to speak about the bride and the bridegroom. Jesus being the head of the church and the church being his bride or his body. And the revelation that points out that this is a great mystery. Mm -hmm. This is a great mystery. Which meant that marriage goes beyond itself alone in, on its own. It is God's initiative with a mission. And that's why the first call is your submission, which is a general experience of the Christian faith. That all of us here are meant to submit. That in the house of God, even though we are all of God's people, there is a formation. There are ranks. And submitting to those ranks is not about the individuals occupying those offices. It's about the offices as instituted by God himself. 
So biblical theology does not reveal that because we are God's people, there must be chaos. People must behave as they like. People must treat people anyhow they choose. God's plan is that there should be order. And that order that has to be must be based on submission. As God has defined it in the responsibilities and offices. That same ideology ought to be understood in terms of the marital union, the, the household. The union that is formed between husband and wife. God wants that submission to exist. The Bible says it should be on the basis of reverence for Christ. That this submission should be understood. Then the argument goes on then to lay out the responsibilities. Wives, submit to your husbands. Not because the women are problematic that they are breastfeeding. Hello? Hi. Sometimes you ask the question, why, did, why is it that we begin with the wives? I was beginning the teaching last Sunday, and the question was, which I refused to answer was, why? Why start with the wives? Are we here to put them down again? Are we here to demand of them what is unfair? The reason why the discussion began with wives is because the discussion was firmly anchored on submission. Submission, first of all, related to the entirety of the household affair. And then it becomes a requirement for the wife. Today is the husband's day. But then I will wrap off in the end. Because the passage also lays that that we meant that way. And we begin with the wife, the husband, they started with the hot wives, went into the husbands, and then rounded off for the wives and the husbands. That's how Ephesians chapter 5 is laid out as we read. So what is the mandate for the husband today? Love. Husbands, love your wives. As a rider to this conversation. No man has a right to demand submission from his wife if he does not love her. You cannot say submit to me as a man asking your wife to do that without you loving your wife. Husbands, love your wives. The word they love has four interpretations. <coughs> love in ancient Greek, in English is just translated love. But in Greek, when you go to the text, the original language the New Testament was written, if you read Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25a, it will say, husbands agape your wife. Husbands, agape your wives. In English, it's translated, love your wives. This, this is very important. This word is important. Because in the Greek, there are four expressions of the word English calls in the blanket word, love. Number one word in the Greek 
that represents love is Eros. E-R-O-S. Eros. This kind of love has to do with a love that is erotic love. That's why somebody said he had erotic feelings. It's a direct expression of the Greek rendition of that. Eros. So Eros is a kind of love that exists as erotic love. It's love that is driven by desire. Love that is driven by what? Desire. So that is what you see some boys tell a girl, I love you. What the boy means is I erose you. <laughs> it is driven by desire. Desire for sex. Don't be worried by this uses of the words. The young people are using the words already. It is safe for us to use them in the right climate, in the right space. And parents use these words. Because they are there on the net. And they bombard your kids as soon as somebody has access to telephone. It's an open door. A lot of things are coming in there. So stay them in the same space. So when they hear them there, they will not feel strange. Eros is driven by desire. The next one is called Stormy. S-T-O-R-G-E. Is the second word for love. In rest of family love, the kind of love there is between the parent and child and between family members in general. This is love driven by blood. Love driven by blood. That is the kind of love that exists within the family system. I mean, between parents and their children. Siblings, among their siblings, uncles, aunties, nephews, nieces, and all of that. That is love that is driven by love. And the third one is filia. It speaks of a brotherly friendship and affection. It's a love of deep friendship and partnership. It might be described as the highest, um, the, the highest. Love of which man, without God's help, is capable of. It is about fondness or love driven by common interests and affections. That is the third kind of love. That is the highest kind of love human beings can express on their own, independent of God. But the word Paul uses here is in asking the husbands to love their wives, he is using the word agape. A-G-A-P-E. It's the fourth kind of love. Eros, stogie, philia, each speak about love that is felt. And don't get me wrong, these three dimensions should also be the father, in the, between the husband and the wife. dimensions. Within the husband and the wife, there should be desire in us. There should be the fact of, of fondness 
of, of, of partnership, of the fact of a relationship that exists, a blood relationship, as spouses that have come together to form a union, but over and above that, there should be what is called agape, which is demanded very strongly from the man who is the husband. So men, uh, open your heart very well. Open your heart because the word you are to cling to today is agape. Let the men say agape. Let the men say agape. So that's what the Lord is demanding of you. Okay. Okay, don't worry. I'm asking to check around and walk around and check around. Who is talking about into the issues. 
everywhere is black. You don't find nothing to hold on to anymore. So husbands, the Lord says, it is Agai. Agape has to do with the mind. It is not simply an emotion which rises unbidden in our hearts. It's a principle by which we deliberately lead. That's what William Butler says. It is a principle in which we deliberately lead. Agape really doesn't have much to do with feelings. It has to do with decisions. self-denial for the sake of another. It's a love that loves without changing. Praise God. Amen. It's a love that loves without changing. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is love so great that it can be given to the unlovable or unappealing. It is love that loves even when it is rejected. Husbands, this is what the Lord is saying to you. To love your wife. <laughs> to agape your wife. You see why the changes of childbirth should not be a problem. You see why she losing her job that should not be a problem. She gaining weight should not be a problem. It could be talked through, but that doesn't change it. You see why that you're distant away from her, and you're finding very beautiful, elegant women around you, that that doesn't make you lose your mind. Contest, you can't be the head, we are equals. 
that marriage should not be entered into lightly or, or, or unadvisedly, but thoughtfully, mm -hmm. reverently, in the fear of God. Amen. Amen. What makes our situation terrible is that many of our young people these days are getting married without marriage counseling whatsoever. Yep. And some of them go for counseling which is unprofitable to them entirely. Now you're sitting here, you're living in the United States of America, but you're very complex beings. You are still Africans. You are partially Americans. You're partially Asians. You're partially all kinds of things pulled together. So if you want to undergo marriage counseling, that marriage counseling has to be unique in itself. Mm -hmm. But the person counseling you should share with you and be able to have values that agree with you. That's why stepping out there to find a professional marriage counselor is not the ideal thing for you. Because you must question what informs his counseling. Every counselor is informed by a lens in counsel. That's the truth about it. Nobody's a blank slate. So you happen to go and be counseled by a Buddhist who is a professional marriage counselor. He has an office and you found him on the line, on, on, the, on the net. And you go in an appointment as a professional marriage counselor. And he sits down with you to counsel you. What's he going to tell you? You're right. Be a Buddhist. <laughs> also, my idea spies with Buddhism. Or gives us secular ideas that are not Christian. And you begin to run your marriage without the Christian principles underpinning your marriage life. You are ready for destruction. So, the point of demanding marriage counseling. It's not so that somebody will sit down there and ask you stupid questions. It's for the purpose of helping you. Mm -hmm. To be on a good footing as you step into a complex institution. What you have to live with for the rest of your life mm -hmm. is not what you just get in the unprepared mm -hmm. or haphazardly prepared. You must be well prepared. And it begins even before you decide who is to be your husband or who has to be your wife. Mm -hmm. Some of us, once they have picked somebody, is the law of medicine and patience. If not, nobody should dare to ask questions. Mm -hmm. If you can't open up to people interrogating your decision, especially people that are vital to you, your pastor, your father, your mother, your siblings cannot interrogate you or who you are deciding to marry, friends, I will be afraid that perhaps you're preparing for destruction. Mm -hmm. So young people, listen to me. I have been young like you. I'm still young in mind. <laughs> I understand what happens around you. And what I'm sharing with you here, that's why we agree with Pastor that the teenagers should sit here and be a part of this conversation. Amen. Amen. Husbands, mm -hmm. I return to you. The Bible says you should love your wives. But it's not just telling you to love your wives as you think you should love them. And the Bible says your own wife. As the Bible says, women submitting to their own husbands. 
You love your wife. Your wife. The Bible says in chapter 5 of Ephesians verse 25. Alright. Let me cut this before I get there. So, you can read the passage, Ephesians chapter 5, from verse uh, 25. You can read it as, husbands, be kind to your wives. Or husbands, be nice to your wives. That is not what the Lord is saying. He's not saying be kind. He's not saying be nice to her. That would be good if we can do that. Even, if we could even begin from there. But it's higher than that. What it's saying is, husbands continually decide to practice self-denial for the sake of your wives. Husbands continually decide to practice self-denial for the sake of your wives. Husbands continually decide to practice Self-denial for the sake of your wives. I can assure you that if this is your decision and this is your practice, your wife will submit to you without any question. Amen. Hallelujah. I can assure you. Because self-denial will not be oppressed. Self-denial will not be measuring the money with a calculator. <laughs> Self-denial will not have to do with, this is the perfume I bought for myself. It is $500. Madam, I gave you money for perfume, and that money is good enough. And it was $50. <laughs> So why would you keep buying your own perfume for five hundred dollars, and your wife's perfume is how much? Fifty dollars. That is not self-denial, ladies, is it? No. Pastor, you don't use an alarm. It's not balanced anymore. Yeah, the balance is very I'm giving you vivid examples because I know that. I, uh, I've been in marriage for 24 years and uh, I've counseled marriages. Even before I got married, I started counseling marriages. So I've been a marriage counselor for more than 24 years. And I've waited people also. A lot of people have waited in various provisions and various levels of life. Sometimes a marriage teaching may be tilted in one way or the other. But the spirit of it is, is the same. It's intended to communicate the truth of worship. So Jesus Christ, in revelation to husbands, the revelation of the Bible is that husbands should love their wives. But there's a requirement, there's a standard for which that argument is portrayed. 
Just as Christ, verse 25b of Ephesians 5, and I'll be rounding up because we have to finish service in about 1.30. So I have to round up. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blame. Amen. So, you are called as a husband to love your wife just as Christ also loved the church. So there's a standard of measure. And the standard is Jesus himself loving the church, which is his bride. And you, the husband, your wife is your bride. Now, let's use how, how did Jesus come loving the church? Does the church deserve the love of Jesus? No. The church does not deserve the love of Jesus. Did the church look for Jesus? Mm-mm. No. The church didn't go seeking for the Lord. Is the Lord finding you as his bride? No. Well, you may argue that for some of you got married. And it was your wife that chased you <laughs> and proposed to you and sponsored the marriage. And so for that reason, I'm just playing my character. I was not in there. I was, I was conscripted. So take me as you see me. <laughs> it doesn't work that way anymore. From when that marriage was established, it came to be assumed that that is immaterial. Whatever your wife paid or knelt down proposing to you in the marketplace or wherever, you took the role of a husband. And the command here is a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The big question is, are men to die for their wife? Yes. Because the Bible says Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. Men, are you ready to die? Yes,
you have said yes, what does that mean? How is that to be executed? Because if the man dies, then he's no more existing. And if the woman respects her husband and does everything he demands of her, does it mean including take this glass of poison? He has to take it off. Because it brings you to the same challenge. To what extent is salvation? To what extent is loving to that? I want to leave those puzzles there and these questions to be on your mind. So all what I'm saying also is that we need a marriage seminar. But we can have more time because you can't talk these issues in 30 minutes or within the fraction of time that we have. So these are teasers are raised in your mind. Yes, what is demanded of the man is to love his wife as Christ loved the church, to agape his wife. What is demanded of the of the wife is to submit to her husband, to reverence her husband. These are the two demands: one for the man, one for the wife. Amen. So take note of this and walk through these brushstrokes of this discussion in communicating effectively in your relationship. For the purpose of time, I'm going to stop here. Send me your questions. We are arranging a marriage seminar, and we will want you to be present because the issues we're going to be talking will be very difficult. Next Sunday, we'll be treating a relationship between parents and their children, and children and their parents. Please bring your children, bring your families, come to service. Let's have those conversations because these are important conversations that will help you tremendously. There's some things you cannot say to your wife. You, you need your pastor to say them for your wife to hear. There are things that you cannot say to your husband. You need your pastor to say them to your husband to hear. There are things you may not be able to say to your children. You require your pastor to communicate that to them. And, and young people, you know that there are some things you can't say to your parents. You need your pastor to say them to your parents. So let's motivate each other to come to service next Sunday. And the following Sundays, we'll be talking more about relationships. Thank you.